Hey everyone, I hope everyone's doing great during this lockdown, during these unprecedented times. I haven't seen anything quite like this <laughs> during my lifetime, at least. So I'm rooting for everyone to be safe, stay safe and keep it together as, as much as possible because we will get out of this. There will be a lot of lessons that we must learn. And there are things that we're going to change from our life, from our personal routines, and also in a macro scale from our institutions. A lot of questions are surging around all of the complex systems that our lives rely upon. And I think that's a good thing and a bad thing because no one, no one wanted to have this conversation in such a drastic manner. During this crisis, we should have improved our institutions before everything went downhill as fast as it did. But anyways, this kind of conversations we're going to have perhaps after this crisis. But right now, I had the privilege of talking with Dr. Peter Vogosian, and he proposed that we should talk about the conversations we're having right now during the lockdown, being in... Uh, closed space for so many days, perhaps longer than expected, with other people, family members, people who we haven't seen in a long time. And it is just an honor to be talking with him. I, I couldn't be happier to do this because it'll give you so much to think about, to do uh, advice in a practical sense. And a little of his bio, he is a faculty member in the Department of Philosophy at Portland State University. He's also an affiliate assistant professor at Oregon Health Science University in the Department of General Internal Medicine and a visiting fellow at Reason Foundation Think Tank. He's an international speaker for the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Science and Reason and the Center for Inquiry and has an extensive publication record across multiple domains of thought. His popular pieces have been featured in the New York Times, Scientific American, The Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, City Journal, The American Mind, The Philosopher's Magazine, LA Times, National Review, wow, USA Today, New Statesman, etc. He's the creator of Atheos App, and his most recent book with translations in Mandarin, Polish, German, Romanian is How to Have Impossible Conversations. This is a book everyone must read. If we're gonna be talking about difficult topics, and I don't think they'll get easier after this crisis. This is a book we all have to read, and I also recommend it in audiobook. I listened to it myself, and he he offers an Easter egg after, the, after he finishes the book. One more thing that I just was about to forget. This is part one of a two-part conversation with Dr. Peter Vogosian. And I hope you, you like this one. And hopefully we'll can, we, we can air the other part as early as Monday. Take care, everyone. Okay, so Professor Bogosian, I'm here uh, with you in desperate or weird times, I should say. And we, we agreed on talking about how can we manage conversations during lockdown. And I think it's just a great idea from, from you. And thank you for that. So... You know, what happens to conversations when apocalypse scenario hits? What happens to it? Boy, I, first, thanks for having me on your show. And boy, I would love 
for someone to have not asked me that question. <laughs> I wish I wish that I would look at you like you're a lunatic after you ask that question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> so I'm very sorry that I'm in a situation where I, I can't look at you like you have some kind of a disorder. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so conversations in these these situations are very, very, very tricky, obviously. And the key thing is that people get on top of each other and they get on their nerves and you have to do everything you can to mitigate that. And it requires extraordinary care. So, so let's narrow the question down a little bit. So we're in lockdown. I'm in lockdown more or yeah. less. I don't leave the house. Although it's interesting. We have, um, uh, somebody coming over today, a locksmith coming over today, and we're all trying to figure out how to, how to manage that. So how do you have conversations with people you're stuck in the house with, particularly if they're family members or significant others? How's, how's that as a starting point? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let, let's do that. Okay. Well, in addition to very carefully, I think the key is there are a few key, key principles. And we talk about this in the book, how to have impossible conversations. It's, it's people are very prone. Everybody's frustrated. My daughter is incredibly frustrated. She's 13. People are frustrated. They're getting on each other's nerves. And I think the first thing is to start with an acknowledgement of the fact that it's difficult. The second thing is that when I have kids, in fact, I just had another talk with my son last night asking him to accept more responsibility. First, first so the series of stages. So the first thing is to acknowledge it's very difficult. The second thing is to acknowledge his competence, acknowledge what he, he is competent at. And my son and my daughter have very different skill sets and competences. The third thing is to basically, instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, is to, is to ask them to take more responsibility. And the commensurate level of responsibility they take is not just for them, it's for the whole family. And it's not busy work or meaningless work, et cetera. So those are some some broad principles. And another specific principle is that you have to rise to the occasion yourself. So I always make sure I empty the dishwasher far more than anybody else. I always make sure that I, of course, my wife would probably disagree with that, but mm-hmm. um, but I always make sure that I am, I shouldered on myself. And that's the key when you're helping other people to navigate those things because they see you as a model. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And this I don't want to get the question wrong because my intentions are rather very good with what I think, but you're an expert on, on debating, on dialoguing and having conversations. So is, does this improve in your household? How do you handle the conversations? Or like, I, I keep thinking of if, if I'm with Professor Bogosian and he's trying to persuade me about an issue, I know that he's an expert. So <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? That Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think so. I don't know if I'm an expert in debating so much. I don't see the use in debating. Not debating, uh, but having a dialogue, you know? Yeah, like, that, that I would definitely say I'm an expert. In. So, so, and you call me Peter. So I think that the, the key is you have to try to understand what the person is actually talking about. And in the book, we talk about using Rappaport's first rule, yeah, repeating right. some, something back to somebody to make sure that you understand. In lockdown, of course, that's everybody stepping on each other's toes. And I was just reading about this. In the psychological literature, a key piece of this is that you make sure everybody gets their alone time and their together time. Mm-hmm. But when they get their together time, did you ever watch the Heineken commercial of the people who have different beliefs? And they 
engage some project together. Did you ever watch that? No, I, I, I don't think I have. <laughs> I, I would urge you to watch it. It's a wonderful commercial. It's just genius. Of course, the conclusion they make is that you should have a beer at the end, uh, which is a <laughs> perfectly reasonable conclusion but it's a brilliant ad but so they take someone who's like against trans rights and then someone who's trans but they don't know it and they engage in some project together to try to figure something out to try to fix something and then they tell each other their beliefs at the end and they ask each other if they want to have a beer and talk about it and invariably they do whereas if you just if you didn't have that project and if you didn't have that commonality then I'm quite sure that the asking someone to have a beer would be very, very different. Hey, do you want to have a, a beer? Here's a hardcore Republican conservative and, and here's a, a liberal Democrat. <laughs> so from what I read in the psychological literature, it's interesting what we try to do in, in our home. In fact, we're just starting another program tonight. We, we, we watch communal TV shows. We watch, mm-hmm. we have a t- I'm sitting in the, the basement, all the rooms in my house, as I mentioned, you, all of them are taken because my son's home, everybody's come back, the pandemic, etc. So the key there is when we're together as a group, we're also in silence. Mm. So we're minimizing the communication there. So that's one thing. The second thing is we have a reading club. So we all go and we read books. Uh, Catcher in the Rye is this month's book. or this, wow. I, I can't remember what thing. So we'll, we'll read a book, but that's a way for us all to have alone time. Yeah. So we're not constantly on each other, on each other, on each other. Um, so there are things you can do to get, make sure people have alone time and then they have communal time. But even when they have communal time, you're minimizing conversation. Because remember, you're stuck with people. We don't know how long this is going to last. This could be, I don't mean to freak anybody out, but this could be, rather than give a timeline, time horizon, why don't I just say that we could be stuck here for a long time? Yeah. Wow. And that's... A lot, a lot to take in, and I keep thinking of you know, I'm imagining a scenario where I'm talking with my father and my brother and all my family who's here, and I started to get emotional during a. We're dialoguing, and I get emotional. I get anxious. Right. How should I, you know, back, should I back off? Should I express right. the anxiety I'm I'm living or? So do. It, May I use an example from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Wow. Great, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, right? Yes. Okay. Do you ever practice Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Never in my lifetime. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, no one is practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu given the current pandemic, but there's this thing in Jiu-Jitsu you can do. It's called a rear naked choke. I'll try to do it to myself here. You take your hand, your arm, and you place it here, and somebody else... And it basically this. Like this? Yeah, and you put that arm behind someone's head. So you, you're, you're basically – so someone's head is in that little space right there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so someone's head would be there. So one of – somebody asked my instructor a really interesting question. They said, let's say that somebody puts you in – and this I'm answering your question directly although it won't seem like it, but I am. Let's say that somebody puts you in a rear naked choke and they have it really tight and you start to feel your life. Sorry, that's my dog. (laughs) 
he's so cute. <laughs> he's always with me. Yeah. And, and this, he's been the big beneficiary of, of me being home. We hang out 24 seven. It's like his idea of heaven. <laughs> so, so uh, you're in you're, you're there. You are. You're being choked out. You feel consciousness leave your body. Yeah. What should you do? And my instructor said something, which I think is an unbelievably profound life lesson. Hmm. He said, you're asking the wrong question. And I'm going to say that to you. If you feel yourself to get frustrated, that's really the wrong question. I'll answer the question, but I, I, I don't think it's the right question. The question is, what could I have done to prevent myself from getting in the rear naked choke in the first place? Wow. What could I have done to prevent myself from becoming upset and pissing people off or being pissed off in the first place? So I think you have to look at it not only or primarily in terms of what could you do to not put yourself in that situation. Mm -hmm. And that heuristic, that lens, then you won't have to figure out, well, shit, I'm being choked out. My oxygen is going. What am I supposed to do about it? No, don't get in that situation in the first place would be my advice to you. And to do that, we talk about in the book, how to have impossible conversations. You need to figure out what your triggers are and what someone else's triggers are, and you need to avoid them. Okay. And there are exercises that we guide people through in the book in case they do find that coming up. But there's a whole section on anger that we use in the book. But the key there is to not place yourself in the situation in the first place. Yes. But if you are in the situation, then we can have that conversation if you want. Yes, yes. So going to your book, um, you mentioned it right in the in at the start. You mentioned rapport right now, how how to create it and Is it thinking in long term? Because we're, as you say, this could we could be last. This could last a while, quite a while. Yeah. So, is it feasible to build rapport while in lockdown? How how yeah. how, is it, how is it to can we can we translate the rapport for the long term? Yeah. So so remember the things that you usually have to vent and let go and forget about stuff you might not have. So you might not have the gym. You might, we have some, a bag of rice and a bag of beans and it's very possible. We'll be eating rice and beans for a long time. Again, I'm not saying this to be alarmist to freak everybody out. Nobody knows what's happening. My point in saying this is that the typical things that we have to relieve ourselves might not be present. Or what if you're in the, your house stuck in your house with your roommate who's another guy and he has his girlfriend and his girlfriend's freaking out or you're with a, your, your friend. I mean, all of these permutations and combinations, they have the commonality of not having access to like, you know, good food. Maybe you like to drink a wine at night. You don't have any wine or so you have additional hardships on top of you, which makes any kind of stress relief, very difficult. Yeah. Um, let me show you something here. I'm going to turn this around since I'm in my basement. You see those boxes of Windex and bleach and stuff yeah. on the floor? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the, work, so the workout. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. We've made a little, um, I wouldn't call it a gym. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's really important to, to the extent that you can eat well, eat well, but more particularly to the extent that you can exercise, exercise. I set myself a, a goal of 
walking. I don't walk too far from the house, but I walk 10,000 paces a day. Anyway, I'm telling you this because it's very important for you to try to let some steam off and, and maintain your physical body to the best degree possible. I'll admit that I've been terrible at that. My daughter, we had all these pies from softball, but we were stuck with all these pies. So we've been eating a pie a day. It's a horrible habit. It's truly, (laughs) truly good though. They're wonderful pies. But the point is you have to have some kind of way to relieve that stress. All right. I kind of strayed a little bit. I'm sorry. So tell me your, your question one more time. No. Yeah. So I think you, you've answered it because, you know, this is, the the way of us preventing getting emotional at the first place so it connected itself greatly and i keep thinking that this is like a second order of of a consequence you know working out um, going out going with friends and these are hidden consequences of um a future yeah let me if i if i may yes uh so not just working out but this is my workout partner wrote this. It's not just that you're working out. It's that you're trying to track your progress. Wow. Setting, setting goals, no? Yeah. And not just setting goals, but exceeding those each time. So for example, let's say we do this, we have a push up. We're doing, uh, I don't know what they call them today, but when I was a kid, they call them sissy push ups. You put on your, you put, you get on your knees and you do push ups. Mm-hmm. And every time, we're going to go down here. We're going to add a couple more and we're going to record it. So we have goals and we're trying to improve on those goals. And that, that if we're physically in shape, that's going to help us as well. Very cool. So I would, I would urge not letting, not eating pies Mm -hmm. uh, or at least not daily, the daily eating of pies. And I'd urge to just make the best of what you have yeah. and then try to work out with that and there's some really good stuff online so if this happened when i was a kid would really be screwed there'd be nothing but you can go online to see different workout videos that you can do at home that are great the difficult part the easy part is anything that pushes because you can do dips you can do you can take the bleach and you can do presses the difficult part is the things that pull so it's harder to do curls it's harder to do back but it can still be done, but the point is that you do that, and that's another activity that you can do in silence with somebody. And the yeah. idea that it's something you're doing together in silence is excellent, as opposed to being in a communication space and talking constantly. Yeah, great, thank you. And as you mentioned, softball, I play softball here in in Mexico. I miss my team. Great, cool. I miss excellent. the field. Yeah, and it's. It, I didn't foresee this ever, and you keep mentioning silence and it is rather paradoxical, but I think perhaps it is a gem to ask you this, but what do you think it's the importance of silence during a conversation? That's a great question. If you often, we read, okay, two things. Let me take a step back. So even though there's a lot of a part time or you're doing something or someone's working on a project and there's an alone, there's together time in silence, working out, watching TV, book clubs, or what reading together, et cetera. There's also has to be a communication time. So we, and, and I'm not just pulling this out of the air. We've, I've, I've read the, uh, this is, I'm not an expert in this. This is not spe- specific to my area of study, but the literature seems to suggest we have a family dinner every day. 
So there's a time where we're together and we're intentionally communicating. But the rest of the time, especially if this stretches on for months and months, the less communication you have, probably the better. Wow. And, and, but the more together time you have, it's, it's good too. Like, you know, when, when we work out, we say one, two, three. When we're together, we're reading the book, et cetera. So I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, so now back to your question. Repeat your question one more time. What's the power of silence during okay. the conversation? So if you're trying to, if it's not in a lockdown, um, one of the things that silence does is, is fantastic is that, no, think about this way. Here's what, what rushing to fill the pause is, is it doesn't give any, anybody time to, th to think and reflect. Mm -hmm. And the Greeks call the moment, that moment of wonder, they call it aporia, like, wow, like you're wondering. And when you step on that silence, you don't have a time, an opportunity. To, you're robbing someone of their opportunity to wonder about something. And often in that moment, in those liminal spaces, that's when people will revise their confidence and adjust their confidence down in terms of of the strength of their convictions wow yeah and well that, now that you mentioned convictions i'm gonna go ahead and as as we agreed upon i called a few friends close family members and you know people around my circle and asked them what are their concerns um, great great thank you for doing that yeah being in lockdown and you mentioned um different You mentioned about uh, what did, did you say? The last word you said was um, different ideas, no? Different um, perspectives, no? I, I don't I remember the word, but okay, yeah. I lost my train of thoughts there, but that's okay. That's okay. What? I, so during lockdown, what if I? This is a concern from a friend. What if I? think I'm running on faulty evidence, but I know the other person in my house has faulty evidence. How should uh, I? Okay, great question. Yeah, so, so often in these questions, let's talk about what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't, we talk about this in the book, how to have impossible conversations. What you shouldn't do is deliver a message. You shouldn't tell the person their evidence is wrong. You shouldn't tell them they're mistaken. There are exceptions to that. The more moral the concern is or the more it has an identity level salience, the more important it is to not do that. Mm -hmm. So the way to do that, there are two ways. We, we, in, in the book, we talk about exposing the unread library effect. Yes. So asking people to explain in the, the most detail possible the mechanism for how that occurs. So like, give me as much detail as you can in this. And most of the time people will, will if you ask that question, and the key in that sentence is question, they'll, under, they'll realize at some level they don't have enough evidence for what they believe. So you're not telling anybody anything. You're not delivering a message. You're asking questions about ideas and beliefs people hold. Yeah. The moment you start telling people something, here's how you know that you're in a, what we call a message delivery service. The moment you say, if they only had this piece of information, they'd change their mind. Mm -hmm. no. Because if they only have a piece of information that contradicts what they already believe, you'll trigger the backfire effect. And that means people will become more defensive and hunker down into what they already believe. Yeah. And that, could, could it be the case that I'm not so angry of listening to someone deliver a message, but rather 
listening for the person sending the message. Like if I have a problem with the authority, perhaps like if it's not with the message itself, it's with the people, with the person sending the message. Could that be the case? Yes, that that's, that's the case. And when people ask questions like in a classroom setting, for example, or in, really in life, sometimes they're not asking the question because they want the answer. They're asking the question because they want you to know that they're following because there's an attractive person they want to date with. They want to show them how smart they are. They're asking it for any one of a number of reasons. So you can't assume that somebody. So the other day, uh, actually, I was in the gun store the other day. Speaking of which, just as a brief aside, the gun store opened at noon. People were lining up at 9.50 a.m. to go into the gun store. Wow. Yeah. So evidently, I must have bumped, bumped somebody. I was ta- I was turned and talking to my friend. I had no, I didn't feel her at all, and she started freaking out at me. Don't bump into me. How you know? Don't bump into me. I had no knowledge that I bumped into her. So I said, I'm really sorry. I I didn't feel it. So I took it on myself instead of. So that's how to n- negate those things right there. Instead of saying, Well, I didn't bump into you, or mm-hmm. or you know, Well, you should look where you're going, or. So, so you find as a general rule, if you take things on yourself and you say you're sorry, that's good. But the other thing is, in a normal circumstance, if, if I had bumped into her, I highly doubt that she would have freaked out. Yeah. But, if she, but even if she did freak out, that tells you more about her than it does about you. Mm-hmm. Right? So we always have to remember, like, people will respond. It's not necessarily that they're responding to us. We're just the stimulus in their landscape. Yeah. And it's it's really difficult to explain to people, but you really have to get out of the mindset that this is a personal thing about you. It's not about you. It's almost, almost always about them. Sometimes it is about you, but more often than not, it's about the other people and how they react to something. And just as a, as a parenthetical, a buddy of mine's a psychiatrist. He said to me, we don't, we don't use the word crazy anymore. We consider it a vulgar term, but I'll give you the quotation. He said to me, he said, you can tell how crazy somebody is by the way they act around crazy people. <laughs> so c- people who are crazy really get crazy when they're around crazy people. Yeah. Whereas people who are not crazy keep calm, cool, and collective and don't get crazy. And yeah. I thought that was, there's something profound in that as well. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I'm going to also add a link in the video with your conversation with Chris, which uh-huh. was Loretta this past week which was amazing and you mentioned this part of the uh going to the gun store gun shop and All right. i kept thinking you know it is it is important to be preventive and at the same time it also shows that people going around at nine in the morning we're we're experiencing something as a collective which is like a collective mind you know everyone's wanting to do preventive things which didn't happen right or and you mentioned killing the messenger and part of uh, of a chapter in your book how to have impossible conversations is the fact that you can instill doubt in someone who's let's say i'm living with an ideologue here in my house and i want yeah. to that's yeah. a great question. We should totally talk about that. Yes, 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 yes. That's, there's many, many angles from, for, for that question. And so let's say I'm with an ideologue right now. Let's say that I am an expert on my, on my given topic, which I'm not. I'm not a virologist. In, in, this, in this scenario, I'm not the expert, but I've done my research. How can I instill doubt in the long term 
during a lockdown because you, let me rephrase that. So I want to instill doubt on an ideologue, right? We will be in contact together uh, for the foreseeable future, for the next month. Instilling doubt takes time and also takes a long time, you know? So can we reduce the time to, of instilling doubt? Yeah, you, you can. So in that circumstance, it's better to spend more time in silence and more time away from each other. But if you're doing each other, if you're with each other, then you should be doing activities together that don't require speaking like binge binge watching netflix i mean let me tell you a quick story before i answer your question i have a a buddy of mine he's my my friend's uh, boyfriend i became very friendly with he lived with a guy who had evidently i never met the guy but he'd always come and complain about him he had some kind of like a pathological obsession with saxophones and he had a yeah I know a weird thing right so he had a uh, he had a, a, a master's degree in musical performance he'd only listened to saxophone music talked but he had a necklace that had a saxophone on it he the dude was just completely obsessed with saxophones mm-hmm. and he refused to talk this is just true story um, he refused evidently according to my friend because I never met him he only talked about saxophones and refused to talk about anything else. And so I said to him, well, God, he must have been in just an unbelievable saxophone player. He's like, no, he sucked. Really? He was terribly, yeah. And, but, but he under, had a good understanding of, of the, the music theory. So I said, well, instead of, so there you are. My dog sneezing. So instead of um, dwelling on or talking to him about any kind of saxophone performance, why don't you take what you can from him? Right, take what you can. You want to learn about music theory? This is a free lesson. There you are. You're in the house with the guy. He's your roommate. Why don't you take what he can give you in his passion and area of expertise and focus on that? Mm-hmm. And every time he steers it around to him wanting to play the saxophone, which I think he's talked about like nails on a chalkboard, just say, "Hey, I'd much rather learn about this." You see how I framed it on myself with my subjectivity. Yes. So let's say. So now back to your question. So let's say you're living with an ideologue. He's completely convinced of something crazy like, uh, I don't know, taking... This is, and let's Maggie. say that the thing that he's, he's convinced about is that this is a hoax. Everything's a hoax. Well, Putting it in, in, this, in this scenario. Well, right? fortunately, in that case, all you need to do is wait 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that's nothing long-term about that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so let's say, yeah, I was thinking about something that couldn't be tested or measured, but if he thinks this is a hoax, okay, then he's then he has a much deeper problem than the fact that he thinks it's a hoax. There's something psychological going on with him. So, uh, well, if he, again, if he thinks it's a hoax, this is what I would say to him. I would say, okay, well, let's wait a week. Why don't we wait a week? And then I would ask him, in the book, we call this disconfirmation criteria. Mm-hmm. In philosophy, it's called defeasibility. Mm-hmm. Under what conditions would you come to believe that this is not a hoax? Like what 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 would it actually take? So now the LA is in I don't know the well actually you use Portland. Portland is in um not home confinement, home something. I can't there's some technical yeah. term. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, said he thinks fifty-six percent of the people from California are infected with the coronavirus, et cetera. But you wouldn't give him any of those facts or her any of those facts. You'd say to them, under what conditions would you be willing to change your mind? Like, what if your mom developed it? 
What if someone you know, or if he doesn't have a mom, obviously you don't say that. What if a friend of yours developed it? What if you had to go to the hospital and you saw firsthand all of the beds taken? Would you believe it's a hoax? Like, what would it take for you to change your mind? Yeah. And then you talked about pausing. You just sit back and listen. Mm. Yeah, and I interrupted a bit. Sorry about that. You, you were thinking about another scenario. Would you care on, on talking about well, it? I was, I was thinking about... Uh, yeah, well, I was thinking about instead of saying like this is a hoax because that's just the most easy thing to prove imaginable. You just wait, and in that waiting space, you say, "Okay, well, let's let's not." I don't really want to talk about it because this is an empirical question. It's a matter of fact. We'll just wait a week and we'll see. We'll revisit the question. That is really there's nothing to debate. There's nothing to talk about. We just wait, and and then you put it on yourself. And I tell you what, if it turns out that this is a hoax. I nothing would make me happier than to say, you know what, you were right, a hundred percent. This is a hoax. This is a really good hoax, yeah. uh, and you're right. And then that's the end of the conversation because every time he'd steer back to you, all you need to say is say, well, let's wait a week. Yeah. But the thing that I was thinking about, sorry, I'm talking a lot. I have a lot of thoughts in my head here. Oh, the thing that I was talking about is, let's say that somebody tells you something that's not so easy to prove, like okay. this is a hoax. Like, let's say that someone has some insane idea in their head that some pseudoscientific alternative medicine-y thing, like, well, if you take zinc and magnesium, it will protect you from the virus. Okay. The obvious question, and it's not a bad question at all, it's just not in the right order. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to bet your life on that? Hmm. You're willing to bet your life on that. For most people, it's all fun and games until they bet their money or their lives. And then they, then nobody's denying science at that point. So if you, you know, typical question could be, well, well, how do you, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, I read it from a, on a website where the doctor who has done clinical trials and, you showed that if you take a lot of zinc and magnesium, you're protected against the virus. Mm -hmm. Now, if this person were living in a room alone or, or, or on an island, that wouldn't really be a problematic belief. But the problem is if that person is your roommate, that creates a lot of difficulties. They go to Amazon Prime. You have Amazon Prime in Mexico? Yes. Okay. Well, I have an account, but I don't know if it's from Mexico. Okay, I don't know either. So they go, they get a bunch of zinc tablets and they get a bunch of magnesium tablets and then they want to go to a party with all their friends. Mm -hmm. So now you have a problem because it operates as an immediate threat to you. And yeah. then you have to see, then we have a lot of variables like what's the pre-existing relationship, et cetera, et cetera. In that kind of a situation, that's not a fun in games. This is a hoax. That's not a crazy, that's not a crazy belief that, that, doesn't really pan out that's something that could literally kill you within a day or you know you could catch it and then so in that situation you just have to lay down the law nobody likes it when you lay down the law especially if you don't have any authority my children i have and i'm not good at this i've had to be very careful and my wife has been excellent she's reined me in on this i wanted to lay down the law weeks ago about no going out they would have none of it and so i tend to be In global pandemics, I tend to be an authoritarian in my house. But I know that if I do that, the consequences that they'll end up thinking I'm an asshole. Yeah. And so that will damage my relationship and it might encourage them to do things behind my back because they wouldn't want to tell me about it. So that approach, while 
if everybody listened to you, it would work really well. That is absolutely not the best approach to take in the circumstance. Yeah. So if your roommate believes this, I would have an honest conversation and say, I'm 100% fine if you want to bet your life, but I'm asking you not to bet mine. Hmm. Yeah. You mentioned that even during these times, you, you kind of go into the right side of the things being authoritarian, as you say. That happens with me a lot. And that's, I asked my father yesterday, actually, he, 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 I asked him, hey, what's your main concern by being with me in the house? You know, what's your main concern? And he said that you will drive me nuts <laughs> because. That's good. Let's, can we, can we, let's linger on this. So who's in your house, if, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, right now, we, it's my brother and my father right now. Uh-oh, someone's outside the house. Who's outside the house? No, no one. No. That's that's that, I didn't I think I didn't articulate it well. That my father and my brother, that's all. Okay, so it's your father and your brother in the house and yeah. who else is coming in the house? No one. Oh, well that's really good. Now, do you have to leave the house? Mm, my father as as I mentioned in here in Mexico, um The, the quarantine is in, there's not, not a lockdown, so he's he's going out and in of the house. He's going out of the house. How old is, can, may I ask his age? Yes, he's 60, no, okay, he's 50, 55. I don't know. He's going to get mad with me, huh? not knowing his okay. age. Okay, well, if he's in his 60s, that's... 50s, 50s. Why, why is he going outside? And I don't want to pry into your personal life, but why, why is he going outside the house? Work. Okay. Yeah. So, so again, I feel a little bad about asking you personal questions. I, I'm not trying to pry into your personal life. I'm trying to figure. Does he have to leave the house? What does he do for work? If if you ask me, I don't think he has to, because as you say, you 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 tend to go on a, an authoritarian side of the things, and I do as well sometimes. My also my friends will tell you that. <laughs> I try to do that, but he he goes out. I don't know, but I, I try to, to to tell him. But I think he's waiting on for an official for an official decree. I'm not sure. Do, do you? I'm only asking these questions. I feel very self conscious about asking these questions because it's better to be be poor and alive. Uh, no, I only ask because he should only be going out if he absolutely has to. Um, but. That's that, that's the thing, Peter. So, I that that goes back to to you know sharing. I, I'm not an expert, but I've read a lot of things, and knowing that I don't know puts me in a position where I have to think about: okay, should I? Is it best for me that I sacrifice this week in order to get the best out of the five years? In in, in my mindset of you know. Um, The government seems to change the perspective as the day passes. And I think that's, that's happening as well in the United States. Right. And just on that, and I think both your president who told people to hug other people and our president who's a nincompoop and a lunatic, I think the combination, I, I think that nothing that comes, you just can't try. Anybody who would tell you to hug somebody else in a pandemic instantly disqualifies themselves from any kind of authoritative. I, I couldn't agree more. Can't listen. I yeah. couldn't agree more. So, 
So, so their voices, they're now relegated to the children's table and we don't listen to them anymore. So back to your, your dad's, your situation, your dad, I think you need to take very seriously when he tells you, you need to really listen to him. So when he tells you my biggest fear here is not the coronavirus, but it's driving, what does he say? Driving each other nuts. Yes, he he said it like in a in a laughing manner. Like Alex, I know that you sometimes you you tend to sound like I'm gonna put that word in in his in his mouth. You, you tend to sound like Chicken Little in these kinds of scenarios, you know. So I constantly insist on things like, hey, you know, we should do this instead of that. We shouldn't go out. We should go to the supermarket only once every 15 days. Yeah, he shouldn't be going to the supermarket at all. Zero. No, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. Good. And you're how old? If I, you know, I'm asking. I'm 21. Oh yeah, you're going to be fine. This is not this is not a problem for you. <laughs> you're going to be fine. So in that case, I think it's even more important. I'm going to double down on what I said before and repeat it: that you spend a lot of time in your room, but doing social media, talking to people like me, talking to people. It's a great opportunity because I'm usually so busy, I don't have time to think. But here I am in my basement. At what time is it? Two thirty-seven. I got basically nothing to do at any point for the next next year. So you know, you can reach out to me. The point of that is that you there's an opportunity for you to keep your social, you know, build something and your brand and your website and help your dad do the same thing. But you can do a lot of that so that you're not running into your dad, yeah. angry, fighting issues aren't coming up. You're spending a lot of time. And then you're intentionally getting together with him, for example, over dinner and you're having conversations then, and then you're each going your own way. You know, then you're working out and then you're talking to your girlfriend or boyfriend, you're doing whatever you're doing. So I think that the, the key in that space and that, even if he said it jokingly, he probably really means it. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the things you mentioned in, in your book that sometimes people say things in a, in a way, you know, just to, to put things in the air, but not not harm someone right. and yeah so thank you for this meaning that it, it, it intertwined with you know putting into practice in my personal case what we were talking about along the conversation so thank you and what what you you mentioned that talking with with people this to me talking with you one of my role models is oh. Thank you, Eric. I don't know if I'm deserving of that, but thank you. I mean, yeah, because even though I'm a, a 21 year old, I still I still see the things that are happening in in life and ideologies and the the division. So you know, getting getting a, to listen to to you is it's great. So I'll I'll keep doing that. And you mentioned social media, so that's. For me, one of the biggest things, of the biggest concerns during this lockdown, because I don't know if this is, you know, a huge prediction or perhaps you, you will be thinking the same, but more people are going to be spending more time in Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything and, and YouTube. So, you know, how can this affect us when we're reading in 140 characters evidence, for example, if I'm scrolling down on Twitter and I see a paper, should I lead on that paper? Should I, you know? Yeah, I think uh, so, social media, uh, my 
James Lindsay, the co-author of How to Have Impossible Conversation, he calls it calls Twitter a cesspool that follows you, and I think that's mm-hmm. pretty accurate. I don't. I think maybe I misspoke when I said social media, and I should have said social things. And you can do social. Th- so I think if you're really going to be in your room and doing, and don't work out in your room, by the way, try to get out in a special room if you have another room where you can just do that yeah. to clear to clear your space. Uh, what I what I ought to have said, and then I'll go back to the social media, is and thank you for your kind words. What I ought to have said is try to maintain as much social. Um, connection is possible. So for example, remember I said I do 10,000 steps a day. Mm-hmm. I have uh, earphones. I have an iPhone. And every time I'm on there, I just go through another friend I haven't talked to. And I walk around the block, get my 10,000 steps in. No one's close to me. And I'm talking. So I'm always, even though I'm not social in terms of face-to-face, yeah. I have, I've tried to maintain social relationships in my network. And it's pretty cool to actually Talk to people you haven't talked to in you know six yeah. months or a year or even more than that. So that's that's one thing. I think you, you have to be very very skeptical and very concerned about getting information from social media. There's just so there's a barrage of false information out there. Yes, and the key is to go to people who are actually authorities on the subject. That itself is a, is another podcast, but. The, the key there is people, we write about this in the book, people don't post on social media because they want their beliefs challenged as a general rule. They post because they want their beliefs confirmed. Yeah, definitely. And especially now you have so much disinformation. You just have to be really careful. But the key to this is, I think it's the, do you live in a crowded neighborhood? Mm, yeah, kind of. That's, yeah, I, I could say that. Yeah. Okay. So can you walk around a block or something without seeing people? We, yeah yeah There's okay park here so you can you could probably do that and maintain social interaction and if social meaning digital interaction and if your dad is there you know you can say hey why don't you know why don't we each schedule an exercise time so that gets you out of the house that gets him out of the house mm-hmm. and then he's going around and i say and say to him like hey you know you can talk to uncle fred or what you can talk to people you haven't you haven't spoken to in a long time. And it's, it's the whole idea of let's see if we can make the best out of the situation. And again, that's when you're not in each other's hair too. So I think that maintaining digital social connection is imperative. Yes. How old is your brother? Is he older or younger? He's older than me. Okay. So that's not a concern. I was wondering if he, if he was younger, you'd need a different set of parameters. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned neighbors right now and, I think one of the main things and main aspects of your book, How to Have Impossible Conversations, is the fact that you argue that we're evolutionary embedded. We have an evolutionary embedded code that makes us want to be social and talk to each other face to face. And that's, that's a huge lesson for me. And, you know, how can one... You, I don't know. So let's say that I see my neighbor right now and we just do the small talk. But how can we strengthen that, like you say in your book, the golden bridges for the long term when this when this starts? Right. So I'll tell you what my son my son did. I wish I could claim this idea. It's a great idea. We we're very good friends with uh, our neighbors on uh, one side of our home. Mm-hmm. So he takes the lawn chair out every night. And he spaces the lawn chair 10 feet apart from her and, and, and but never her wife, just her. And the two of them have conversations in the lawn chair 10 feet apart. 
and it's fun, you know, and uh, there's something about that that kind of makes the conversation extra fun that wouldn't you wouldn't ordinarily have. So I think that the key the key to that is those. So you can still have a face to face conversation and and maintain a healthy distance from someone. It's not ideal, but you can make it fun, like the whole lawn chair thing and the mm-hmm. cocktail. Yeah, I'll, I'll have that in mind next time. And so let's let's switch gears a bit on you know one of the things that is happening a phenomenon is we're seeing our coworkers you know our employers employees as well we're seeing them vir- virtually you know and we're having meetings together via Zoom via Skype and digitally so how can one manage a conversation with his employee employer regarding wage the future of the company which is, I think, an impossible conversation given the circumstances. Yeah, it is. So, so I don't know the answer to that question because there's too many variables and things are in too much social upheaval. Hmm. I, I don't know what, I mean, I can speculate, but I have no expertise and I, no, I, wouldn't, even, I wouldn't listen to my, my own speculation. I wouldn't trust my own speculation. Like, Let me rephrase it then. So the skill sets one should have in mind when approaching to to his employer, you know, asking about the future of the company or, you know. So, so like- here, here's one thing you can say is, I know this is an incredibly difficult time. It's a type of golden bridge. It's also, you know, you we talked about alter casting. You can alter cast. Mm-hmm. But you've always been fair to me, right? So that's alter casting. Or you've always been X to me, honest with me, et cetera. Excuse me. And so that then what can you say with a very high degree of confidence? Excuse me. What can you say that we know about the next week, about the next three days, about what what can I, quote unquote, take to the bank? And then even then the response they give, I'm not sure that you can trust that because there are just too many variables, too many things to know about. Yes. So. I here's what I would not do. I would not push it. I would not cajole. I would not. I would realize that they're also probably wondering about their job. And if they're a small business owner, they're probably worrying about their business. Everybody's petrified right now. Yes. The hotel industry is down. The The restaurant industry. Is down. I have a, a friend of mine who's a therapist. All of her clients are from the uh, hospitality industry, specifically restaurants, pubs, clubs. All of her clients canceled. 100% of her clients canceled wow. because their industries are now down. So this is a very frightening time for everyone. People are worrying about how they can pay their rent. Like us, we have a dog in the ICU. It costs us over $1,000 a day. I'm not working now. Um, so it's a very, very scary time. So I would, I would try to avoid asking people to speculate. Okay. What can you tell us for sure? What do you know? What's the current state? What are you going to know about by tomorrow? What will we know? And I think as long as you keep those parameters manageable, I, th- I think that the conversation would be, and then just realize that you're in a tough situation, but they're in a tough situation too. Yeah. What, let's extrapolate this for a president. Let's say that Trump gets asked this question. What can you tell us about the future? He obviously will go into 
his presidential and PR type of answer, you know, everything's handled, quote unquote. But how would we, the public, manage a more honest answer like, I don't know? I don't think you can trust anything that Trump tells you. Literally nothing. Wow. So I shouldn't watch the, the, the briefings then. <laughs> I, I don't know what the point of it would be. I mean, I, I don't think that he's... I don't want to make this an anti-Trump rant. No. But no. I don't... I don't I, I think I have overwhelming evidence to convince every rational person at this point that he is not suited for the position and that he has bungled this from day one. Hmm. And we can go into statistics, et cetera, but I think to answer your question directly, I'm not sure why you would believe anything he has to say. I mean, he's, again, I'm trying not to go into st the statistics about why isn't there someone from the CDC there and slashing the emergency response, but there's no point to that. I just don't think that he's, I mean, your own president, as we said, told people to hug each other. So that instantly invalidates anything he has to say. Now, yeah. you, now he, he can say things like, okay, I'm imposing martial law. Okay, then you can listen to it. But in terms of what he has to say, I mean, Trump, he was saying like that whole clip of him with the people from the CDC saying, oh, I'm so intelligent. They're wondering how I know this so well. I have a good knack for He's a lunatic. I mean, I don't even know. I can't. I just can't stand him to such a profound degree. So I wouldn't listen to anything that he says. I have no. And then, you know, there are all the I'm trying not to talk about. It, I really am. All those clips of him and everybody touching the microphone and everybody saying, you know, when no more than 50 people in the room or 25. And there's the, everybody's in the room and there's no space be, between chairs. I mean, the whole thing is just a I would love to laugh about it. If it weren't, if the consequences weren't so That's, high, you, you literally put it perfectly. That's if I'm being very honest and personal. That's what it's breaking my heart the most. Because how can I, you know, as literally going back to the first question and your answer, like I, I hope this is not the. I hope this is a simulation in terms that you're saying that we shouldn't listen to our president. You know, that's what breaks my heart. That our institutions are failing us in such a way and perhaps not the institutions themselves, the ones that represent them, you know? Yeah. And not only that, it just came out in this country and it hasn't been, been absolutely confirmed yet, but a lot of people on the Senate intelligence committee, et cetera, I'm not going to name names, but in this country, when they found out about the coronavirus, the first thing they did was sell their stocks. I, I saw that note and I, I, I saw, I, I saw it. It was right. So, so the, key there is to remember in this country you're innocent until proven guilty yeah so when they have a law trial when they go through court etc cetera, etc cetera, and they go through due process and the whole deal then we can talk about imposing the maximum punishment on them but for now they're innocent so not only do we not trust the president specific figures i wouldn't say treason or treasonous because that's a, prob probably a little too strong but it's certainly somewhere in that category of ultra ultra bad And the good thing is, the good thing is that you have some people like Tucker Carlson, who's a conservative commentator, slamming the some of those folks were the the people who were alleged to have done that were Republicans. So this is an American world species issue. This is not about who's a Democrat or who's a conservative, or who's a Republican. Like if you do that, you have crossed such a line, such a betrayal of the public trust and confidence. So I wouldn't really trust anything i would just have to take on your own resilience and talk to your dad 
don't go out. How can we maintain social pressure? What can I do? Here's another great question. What can I do? I just said this to my son. What can I do to make this better? What can I do? My son said, hey, can we buy this thing on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, what, what, what can we do to make this better for you? And in the context of your relationship with your brother, having a conversation before you have the conversation about, hey, we all need to take more responsibility. You need to show and not say that you're taking more responsibility. Yes. Dishes, washing the floor, taking it. So you need to take that responsibility on yourself. And once you do that, it's a much easier conversation when you ask people to rise to that level. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the things. That, this is modeling. Every We're talking exactly. about modeling. And I'm lucky enough to tell you that I love to to clean. So that's I, I can model it easily. <laughs> that's that's great for me. And so we're talking about um, conversations and with one another. But during these times, and let's put it personally to me. So how what would you advise me uh, in terms of handling the conversations with myself during these times? So, uh, okay. In terms of handling the conversation yourself, try to get out of the, try to remove yourself from as much conversation as possible. And when you do have those conversations, like at dinner, make them intentional. We're eating tonight. I'd go for long walks. Um, I think the former bodybuilder Dorian Yates said, people can either run farther or they can run faster, but they can't run farther and faster. If you find this conversation insightful, consider subscribing to the podcast at any podcast feed you use and share it with a friend. We truly appreciate your support.